you're turning to the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 2. We'll begin to read in verse number 1 this morning. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. All in. All in. Philippians 2. We'll begin to read in verse 1. Please stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're in Philippians chapter 2. Begin to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would speak to us now. God, I pray challenge hearts and challenge lives. God, I do pray for one that might be in our midst that's never turned and trusted you to be Lord of their life. We pray they'll do that today. God, challenge your church today. Father, I pray if there's any apathy, any indifference, uh, any sense of uh, comfort uh, that has really brought us to a place of spiritual laziness. God, we're not actively doing those things spiritually that you told us to be doing as a church in these days. Father, I pray you'll point that out. You'll convict us. Father, I pray that we'll leave today experiencing your reviving touch upon our lives. And God, you'll be glorified every day through our obedience to the commands and calls that you've placed on our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. On August 27th, 1776, uh, a month and 23 days after our nation had declared independence from Great Britain, General George Washington stood before an army that was about to walk into battle. Uh, many soldiers who were about to give their lives for the defense of a young country. He said these words, The fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. Our cruel and unrelenting enemy leaves us only the choice of brave resistance or the most abject submission. We have, therefore, to resolve to conquer or to die. Uh, just a few months later, in December 19th of 1776, uh, the third president of the United States, uh, he wrote uh, these words. Uh, says, these are the times that try men's soul. The, the summer soldier... And the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country. But he that stands it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us that the harder the conflict, 
the more glorious the triumph. And that was Thomas Paine that said that. But it was Thomas Jefferson who said this. Listen, we are not to be expected to be translated from despotism to liberty in a feather bed. Timid men prefer the calm of despotism to the boisterous sea of liberty. Friend, I want you to know something. Our forefathers, they were all in. When it came to seeing a country be able to experience freedom and maintain it, they didn't straddle the fence. They didn't walk around and say, well, you know, we hope everybody's okay with it. They wanted liberty, and they knew the price for that liberty, and they were all in. The Apostle Paul was all in when it came to spiritual warfare, when it came to the mission that the Lord had left his church, and that he reminds us in this passage this morning, the book of Philippians, that our Lord demonstrated that. One of my most favorite chapters in all the Bibles, Acts chapter 16, that's the birth of the church at Philippi. Uh, Paul wanted to see churches planted. Paul wanted to see souls saved. And so he began to, to look and to step into different communities. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit forbid him from going in to different communities. And there one night as he lay, uh, God spoke to him in a vision. And a man from Macedonia said, come help us. What did they need help from? The spiritual bondage that they were in. Paul had the good news. And so they, they charted a straight course for Macedonia. There they went to Philippi, and just as they were going, they built relationships with a woman and ladies that were there by the river named Lydia. They engaged them with the gospel. Lydia, her whole household, came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Paul spent time discipling those who came to know Christ. And through the work of God, a church was planted at Philippi. Well, Paul's now in prison for preaching the gospel. He's facing a lot of challenges in his life. And so he writes a church in Philippi that's also facing a lot of challenges in their lives. There were false teachers. There were internal fights. I know that's hard for you to believe this morning. But there was a disagreement that was taking place in the church at Philippi. Everybody wasn't getting along. They, were, they, were, they found it difficult because of Rome's occupation to buy, sell, and trade those who wouldn't bow their knee to Caesar. And so there were difficulties and challenges. But in the midst of all that, Paul encourages them and challenges them to keep being all in. He, he encouraged them to be unified as a local church. He challenged them to have that same all-in mindset that the Lord Jesus Christ himself displayed while upon this earth. Christ said to himself in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He, he told his disciples and us in the moment of just being heartbroken. Listen to what our, our Lord says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35 through 38. Uh, Matthew records that Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, listen to me, the lost multitudes who were going to die and burn in hell if something didn't happen in their hearts and lives. When he saw these multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He said, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. In, in Matthew chapter 20, 
and in verse number 28, Christ shared in one singular verse what, what ministry was really about, what the focus of ministry and the mission that God had sent him to do was really about. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen to me this, this morning, church, quite plainly. When Jesus came to church, he didn't come wearing a bib. He came wearing an apron. He came to serve. The, the local church, ministry, the focus of the church for Christ, it wasn't about his needs. It was about the needs of others. And Christ demonstrated this in going to the cross to secure freedom for all mankind in a way that no government or any piece of paper can ever give mankind. Three attributes I want you to notice of this selfless, all-end mind as it comes to ministry that was displayed by our Lord. Three attributes that must be in our life as well if we're going to be all-in when it comes to the Great Commission. Number one, there must be a selfless position. A selfless position. And selflessness is going to mark all three points this morning. And it's just this, church, listen. It's not about me. Now, say that with me this morning. It's not about me. Now, listen, Christ died for you. But the local church, it's, it's not about you. Now, I know a lot of churches are set up that way. They're, they're geared that way to, to catch the person and to, to trap the person because they really don't want their soul. They just want their wallet and they want their presence there. But, but the local churchman, it's not about you. And you're never going to find joy in ministry to get the right ordered priorities that our Lord has raised. It's Jesus first, others second, and me last. But, but there must be first a selfless position. And by position, I mean of how we posture our mindset. We're talking about our attitude. What's the, what is my mindset, my focus, my attitude, my positioning of my mind as it comes to ministry? Look what the Bible says in verse number 5 of Philippians 2, where Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Our, our mental positioning should be like Christ. This is our, our attitude. Why? Because attitude guides action. If you have the wrong attitude, you're going to have the wrong action. But so often, friend, if you have the right attitude, you're set up for success to have the right performance or action in your life. Look at verse number six. Who is speaking about Jesus Christ? Now, this is before he came to earth, before that first Christmas. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, that is, to look at Jesus Christ is to see the visible manifestation of God. As we saw in our text last week in, at the end of Joshua chapter 5, as Joshua looked and he saw the commander of the Lord's army, he saw a visible, physical manifestation of God in human flesh. And so to see Jesus was to see God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, the Father and I are one. Well, the Bible says here that in heaven, Jesus didn't consider, didn't consider it robbery. Look at verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, now, that word in the Greek, that word robbery, it means literally this. A treasure to be clutched. He didn't consider who he was, don't miss this, and what he had in heaven to be something so clutched, that is to be held on to, that he wouldn't set it aside 
to accomplish what God had called him to do. That is, Jesus willingly set aside all the glory that was his, all the position that was his in heaven, to come to this sin-cursed earth, to be mocked, to be despised, to have a whole group of religious people hate his guts, plot to kill him, try to kill him, but he yielded his own life, and to just day in and day out to terrorize him and anyone that sought to follow him. He knew that was going to happen. He knew the cross was before him. He knew the shame of the cross, and the greatest shame of the cross we saw from our text in Psalm 22 last week was this. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He set all of that aside. Why? He had the right mindset. His attitude was this, friend. Whatever God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and die because it glorifies God. But friend, listen, he also died because he loves you. Now, I don't know what your background is. A lot of people I meet in ministry, they have really dysfunctional backgrounds. They didn't have parents that loved them. Uh, I was blessed to grow up in a home where my parents constantly, daily, told me they loved me. They showed me they loved me, not only through caresses and hugs and kisses, but they met my needs. And so you may not have grown up in that kind of environment, and, and I hate that for you. You may have been in a broken marriage that just broke your heart. You may be going through something now in a relationship that just is just stripping your life apart. But I want you to hear me this morning, friend. There is a God in heaven that loves you. There is a Savior that came to this sin-cursed earth 2,000 years ago to die in agony and shame so that you don't have to die and go to hell. And not only that, to give you spiritual life all in eternity, but to give you a better life now on earth. God loves you. And so Christ came, friend. He, he had a selfless position. He selflessly set aside the glory in heaven that was his to come here. And so it really brings the question to this then. If that's what Christ demonstrated because he had that same mindset that Paul says in verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, what's my mindset? What truly is my mindset as it comes to ministry? And ministry is always about others. Do I have that same kind of selfless attitude as it comes to the fulfillment of the Great Commission? Seeing people reached, as it were, with the Word of God. People taught God's word so that they're disciples, teaching them to observe all things, and really encouraging people. Do I have that same kind of selfless attitude that Christ described? Look what Paul challenges the church that's really, they've got some inward fighting here. This will really blow your mind too. A couple of ladies are at odds at the church. In, in Philippi, he calls them out. I've always appreciated this about Paul. Paul. He didn't have a problem dropping names. There was something going on in the church. He, had just, he named names just so no one would be mistaken. Look what he says in verse number 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. He's saying everything that takes place in the local church, listen, church, it's not about you. There's no place for, well, I want. What, what the question should be is, what does God want? He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness 
of mind. That is, friend, in humility. That means to have a low self-opinion of yourself. I'm not talking about one of these people that just wants you to, 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 to brag on them and dote on them all the time. And so they're, they're looking for flattery. I'm talking about somebody, friend, who really just doesn't have a high opinion of themselves. They realize that there's nothing good in them except Jesus Christ. That kind of humility. He says, let, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And about others, friend, he's talking about, about lost people. People who need to be discipled. Now listen to me. God, another one's going to blow your mind. There's some people you're never going to be able to satisfy in the local church. I don't care what you do, what you give, you finally give it to them, then they're mad that you gave it to them. And this isn't what Paul's talking about. Let's do everything just to keep from there being a ruckus or a murmuring. He literally is saying, do what's best for the furtherance of the gospel. And the object of the gospel is lost people. It's disciples that need to be built up. Look at verse number 4. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. Now, some people take that into a wrong direction. They're busybodies. They stick their nose into other people's business when they ought to have what's under their nose shut. That's not what Paul's talking about getting in other people's business. He says, look out for the needs of others. What are the needs of others as it relates to ministry? Reaching, teaching, and encouraging. And so when I walk, when I pull into this parking lot, my focus is to be on others. And guess where your focus is to be? On others, and that group's in me. So see, I don't have to focus on me because you're focusing on me. And you don't have to focus on you because I'm focusing on you and everybody else around you is. Does that make sense this morning? That's how Christ came. That's why he came. Not for his glory, but for the glory of God and the good of others. Friend, listen, if we're going to be successful in these days, and listen, friend, we have far, far drifted in a certain direction, and it's not right. From where our forefathers founded our country, but you hear me this morning, friend, no president, no, no political party can bring us back where we need to be. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can turn our country around. And that rests upon the church. And so we've got to be all in. And it begins by having a selfless position. That's attitude. Number two, there must be selfless participation. Selfless participation. Look what the Bible says in verse number seven. That Christ Jesus set aside all those visible things that distinguished and made him uh, the representation of God. And, and the Bible says, but he made himself of no reputation. That is, he emptied himself. He took upon the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found, verse 8, in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to what God called him to do, to the point of death, even the death on the cross. He set aside all those things. But, but notice, notice the verbs here. Uh, he, he made, he took, he came, he found, he humbled, he obeyed, he died. Jesus didn't come and just sing a good intention. He just didn't give a good testimony 
of intention of what he was going to do. He didn't just go to conferences about what needed to be done. And he just didn't amen what needed to be done. Jesus did the will of God. And so he selflessly participated. That is, he performed. He did what God sent him to do. And, and friend, it cost him his life. His actions were a representation of his heart. The attitude that he had. He did the will of God. And, and listen, service always costs. It costs. You don't think so? Go, go, go down to National Cemetery and walk around. Go to Arlington and look around. And not only that, the ones that still live, friend, and they never get over it in their mind. Service costs. As the families that stay behind and that have to keep making things work, service costs. And to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel, it costs. It's going to cost you your life. But if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, friend, you can't really be a disciple until you lay everything down. And so I want you to understand this morning, friend, that, that a check means nothing if the money's not in the bank. And hear me on that. A check means nothing. I promise you, friend, I could get my checkbook today and I could write a check for $1 million. I could do that. I, I took math in high school, wasn't the greatest, but I've got a diploma that says I graduated. I could make out a check for $1 million. And even say, I'm writing you a check for $1 million. But listen, there's one big problem. There are insufficient funds in the bank to cover the check. You hear me this morning, friend. A lot of people in the church, they write a check with their mouth, but they don't have the funds in their heart to cover it. They'll tell God, God, I'm all in. God, whatever you want to do with your church, God, you do. But they don't have the funds in their heart to cover the check. You hear me this morning, friend? When you say you're all in for the Great Commission, when you say, God, take my life and use me, when you say, God, I'm all yours, I'm your disciple, God knows what's in the bank, friend. Do you hear me this morning? I don't think some of you are getting it. When you write a check with your mouth and confess to God, God knows what's in the bank of first trust heart. He knows what's there. And friend, if there aren't sufficient funds to cover the check you wrote with your mouth, the performance won't be there. It just won't be there. And so we've amen the, the Great Commission to death. We've sung rescue the perishing, care for the dying. We've had conferences. Heaven knows how many conferences on evangelism. And you can scour the internet for every kind of outline on how to share the gospel. But sooner or later, somebody's got to go and tell. Somebody's got to go. We, we talked about discipleship. People need to know the Word of God. People need to know the Word of God. We have to disciple people. You have to pray, God, give me someone that I personally, one-on-one, -on -one, can disciple. Who they, in turn, can go and train others. 2 Timothy 2, how to be faithful with the Word of God. 
Because there, there must be selfless participation. Sacrifice and service are inseparable. They're inseparable. When you serve Jesus Christ, my friend, it's going to cost you. You must lay all of your life at his feet. That means everything that is the house of you. You have to lay at his feet. But here's the difference. Listen to me, friend. You can tell me that you've laid down everything. I don't know. But here's, listen to me. God knows. He knows what's in the bank. He knows what's in the bank. Jesus was selfless in his participation. And so it bears the question, friends, if Jesus gave all, not just talked about it or sang about it, but if Jesus truly gave all, that I might escape the judgment of hell and have heaven in my life now, not only heaven eternal, how can I do any less? How can I do any less when it comes to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. He gave himself, I give myself. There's, there's selfless position. That's our attitude. There's selfless participation. That's our actions. But third, I want you to notice this morning, there's selfless praise. There's selfless praise. Look what the Bible says in verse number 3 of Philippians 2. The Bible says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let nothing be done through vain glory. That is where, where I get the praise. I'm throwing all kinds of mind-blown statements on you this morning about the church you've never heard. Do you know there are people sometimes in the church that will do something and then they'll get mad that you didn't recognize them and thank them? Don't pass out. I'm telling you the truth. They'll just get so beside themselves. I'll give you an example. I was a, well, this will take it down to the church, and so I won't do that. I was a pastor of another church besides this one. And I was studying in my office one Sunday morning, and uh, someone came and knocked on the door. He said, Brother Chad, Brother Chad. Well, I thought, you know, somebody had passed out in the parking lot or something. Church service hadn't started yet. He was just so, he said, Brother Chad, I, I did, you got a minute? And I was, there, I was like, does it look like I've, okay, yes, go ahead. What, what can I do for you, sir? He said, I just want you to know, he was out of breath, the, the men stalls out of the toilet paper. And I drove across the road and I bought a four-pack. I just wanted you to know, there's toilet paper in the stall now. And off he went. He, he wanted to make sure, friend, that I knew that the world was going to stop for somebody, but he saved the day. Well, guess what, friend? He got all the glory he was going to get for that. And you say, well, brother, that's just foolish. Friend, I could tell you stories just like it, where somebody got mad, left the church, turned their nose sideways, because somebody didn't brag hard enough on what they did for the Lord. Friend, ministry is never about my glory, and it's never about your glory. What we do unto the Lord is to the praise and the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who be crowned forever. Amen. It's all for Him. It's all for Him. It's, it's not wrong to tell somebody, I appreciate you. That's encouragement. 
it's not wrong to tell somebody off the side, man, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to thank the hospitality committee again this morning for all the hard work that they went through to prepare for this meal we're going to have. And I appreciate that. But listen, but all the praise, honor, and glory is to Jesus Christ, not them. it's, It's okay to thank someone. It's really a matter, listen to me, of what your heart is. And so Paul says, let everything in the church, look at verse number 3, all the ministry, let nothing be done through selfish ambition, that is through, through vainglory or through conceit. That's not what it's about. Have a selfless attitude. A selfless attitude because Christ sacrificially served and God was glorified through it. Jesus didn't serve for his glory. He served to the glory of God the Father. John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said, I always do those things that please him. He didn't say I'm down here walking out what I want to do, the way I want to do it, because it's my church. I'm going to buy it with my blood. That wasn't the attitude of Christ. Jesus said, everything I do is to please God the Father. So that really bears out the question, listen to me, church, look at me. Why do you do what you do in the life of Greenwood Baptist Church. Do you do it to please you? I just go, this is what I want. This is going to best fit my ideas and my life. This is really the best. Or is it all to the glory of God the Father? See, when you're really all in in the Great Commission work, nothing's ever done for me. It's, it's all to the glory of God. It's all for Jesus Christ. Why? Look at verse number 9. Because the Bible says, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That everything I do, friend, is to praise Jesus Christ. Literally, as I serve in great commission work, Christ is glorified and praised through humble, submissive obedience to what he's called us to do. That's to live on mission, to be missionaries in our community. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, as you are going. Acts 1, 8, and you shall be my, what? witnesses. Starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. He says, you're to be my witnesses. Christ modeled this, Luke twenty-two forty-two. It's not my will, but thine be done, God. And so God is glorified as Jesus does, says that and does it. I put my all in his hands. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, our lives are to be marked by an all in mindset. I give my all to him. And friend, listen, as I do that, look at verse number 11. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I confess him with my mouth when I'm saved, Romans 10, 9, and 10. It's a representation of my heart. But I confess him as Lord to other people. When I'm baptized in obedience to Christ's command upon my life, I confess Jesus Christ. I I confess him. I I praise him through service. I praise him, and my praise is to be guided and demonstrated by my attitude 
and by my actions. And so everything that we do in ministry, friend, when it's done the way God wants it to do, it praises Jesus Christ. What's the reverse truth? Listen to me this morning. When we don't do church, when we don't do ministry, when we fail to live on mission, when we fail to focus on others for the furtherance of the gospel, we don't praise Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what we say, what we do, how good we sing it, how we hold our hands. Disobedience never worships God, but obedience does. And the focus is always Christ. It's, it's selfless. John 15 and verse number 8. Listen to what Jesus says about the life that's all in. Listen. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. That is, when as a branch, listen to me, I sow all in abiding Christ. I mean, I am grafted into him. There is nothing between me and the Savior. I am all in. When I do that, friend, I'm naturally going to bear fruit in the will of God. And the Bible says when I do this, friend, it praises Jesus Christ. It brings honor and glory to God the Father. By this, my Father is glorified. He's praised. Why? Because Christ bears much fruit through me. May 29, 1775. Second President of the United States, John Adams, wrote a letter to his wife. Now listen, this is almost a year and a month before the Declaration of Independence. Now, this was a 43-year-old man, listen to me, who didn't know the front end of a barrel, the muzzle, from the buttstock of a weapon. He, he didn't know which side of the hatchet was sharp and which side was dull. He wouldn't have known a knife were to stick it in some man if, if you drew him a diagram. He didn't know anything about warfare whatsoever. But listen to what he said. He wrote a letter to his precious wife. He said, Colonel Washington, this is George Washington at the time, appears at Congress in his uniform, and by his great experience and abilities in military matters, is of much service to us. Now listen, he says, oh, that I were a soldier. He says, I will be. I'm reading military books. Everybody must, and I will and shall be a soldier. That's what John Adams said. He said, I don't know anything about being a soldier, but I must, I will be, I shall be. Friend, listen to me. A world is bound in sin today. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can set them free. And Christ has called the church to be soldiers of the gospel. And many sit here this morning, friend, you wouldn't know the beginning of John 3, 16 from the end as it came from trying to share it with somebody. You, you've never in your life attempted to say, uh, you know, sir, if you die today, you're certain you spend eternity in heaven. Can I share with you what the Bible says? You, you wouldn't have a clue which verse in the book of Romans. My friend, it's not about your ability this morning right now. It's about your availability. I promise you on the authority of God's word, 
No matter what the devil has led you to believe about yourself and all your inadequacies and all your shortcomings and all your failures that you might have bought into and believed, I'm telling you this morning, you hear me, you are somebody in Jesus Christ. You're somebody. And if you will simply give yourself to Christ wholly as His disciple, He will take you, He will train you, He will mold you, He will empower you, and He will reach a lost and dying world through you and in spite of you if you'll only make yourself available and you'll be all in. I am so glad and I give God the praise that there were men like John Adams, like George Washington, like Thomas Paine, like Thomas Jefferson, and thousands like them, listen, that were all in so that we can sit here this morning as a church and drive here in freedom. In freedom. I'm more thankful, friend, that the Lord Jesus Christ set aside all the glory that was His and came to this sin-cursed earth, endured the shame, endured the misery, was nailed to a cross to take my place and to take your place, rose from the grave, gave a great commission to a band of people who were all in. I'm so glad there was a man in Acts chapter 9 that met Jesus Christ and got all in and took the gospel to the Gentile world so that 2,000 years later in Waynesville, North Carolina, somebody could share the plan of salvation with me. And now I'm not going to hell, friend, because Christ has set me free. And we're surrounded by people every day who are dying in their sin. Why does the church exist? It exists for missions. It's not a club. It exists to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And God help us in these days to be all in for Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never been saved, won't you turn and trust Christ today? He loves you. He died for you. But you hear me this morning, friend. You will die and go to hell. If you don't turn and trust Him to be Lord of your life, He will not violate your free will. You must choose to receive Jesus. And if you've never done that, won't you do it right now in the quietness of your heart? The Bible says it's a gift in Romans 6, 23. A gift that you must receive by faith. Would you not this morning turn from all your sin? Jesus said, except you repent, you'll perish. That's what repentance means, to agree with God that you're a sinner and to turn from that sin to Him. To trust in His death, to believe that He rose again, and to lay your life at His feet today. Trust Him to be Lord of your life. If you would do that, friend, tell Him so right now. A simple prayer of faith like this. God, forgive me of my sin. I admit it. I confess it. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe He rose again. I lay my life at the feet of Jesus. I'm all in. Be Lord over my life. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, I'm going to invite you to make your way to the front here in just a moment when they begin to sing. And I want to encourage you what God wants to do next in your life. Child of God, would you not be honest before God this morning based on Christ's example of what all in is? Are you all in for Jesus Christ? 
Are you really all in? What's keeping you? Would you not set it aside? Know the joy, friend, that can only be found of living every single day following Jesus Christ and being on mission with Him to reach a lost and dying world for the gospel. Father, challenge us. Lord, I pray the apathy and the indifference, the lukewarmness that mark the church of Laodicea, God, I pray that it will not exist in any heart and life here today. God, I pray that we'll see our need for you. And daily, Lord, we'll yield ourselves. And we'll be all in, all in in attitude, all in in action, all in in adoration. Everything is for the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. Father, you know where people stand in need. Speak to us, challenge us now. And I pray we'll leave this place, God, that not only as proud Americans, but more importantly than that, God, proud citizens of heaven who represent you as your ambassadors here upon this earth in all things. Bless this invitation. Challenge us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. And amen. Let's everybody stand to our feet.